Good morning. Good morning, Sam. We're uh, coming to the end of our summer series on Colossians. Um, been exciting and, and just wonderful to study that with you all this, this summer. And so this morning we're going to be uh, looking at Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, which will bring us right up through the end of this letter. So I'm going to read that for you now. So this is the word of the Lord from, again, from Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. There it says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is God's word. Well, this morning, I'm going to share with you one of uh, my deepest, most closely guarded secrets. This is something that I've tried to keep from people for years, ever since like third grade, eight or nine years old. I've wanted people not to know this about me. Uh, it's, it's, and it's that no, no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I look or I stare or I squint my eyes, no matter how intensely I, focus, or I, cro- I cross my eyes, I have never been able to see the underlying image in a stereogram. And some of you are like, well, what's a stereogram? The more common name for it is the magic eye puzzle. We've got one here. It's one of these things, all right? And now, you all kind of get off the hook this morning because sometimes when you blow them up, it's impossible to see it because it actually matters where the dots are at, and then there's this thing in here in the corner. Um, supposedly, this, this one here is a shark. My wife confirmed this for me because, again, I can't see anything in these things. All they are ever been, have ever been to me are mysteries. I've tried to see these images. I've wanted to see these images. I have certainly faked being able to see these images because when you're in third grade, there's a lot of pressure to be able to do these. All right? Everyone else in the classroom is like, I can see that. And I'm like, sure, yeah, I can totally. That's a boat or whatever it might be. All I've ever been able to do is stare at these pages and think, what am I supposed to get out of all of this? For a lot of folks, that's what looking at this final section of chapter of Colossians is like, right? looking at this final little piece. Paul brings his letter to a close, and he switches from instructions for the whole church and, and for all believers, and he starts talking personally to people. He starts delivering personal greetings and personal messages to specific people within the church at Colossae. These last few verses remind us that the letter of Colossians, as much as it is Holy Scripture, is also a historical document. Paul was writing to real people in a real place at real times, trying to help them and and address them and care for them in a specific way, which is all well and good. But here it leaves us wondering, is there anything from these last few verses that can benefit us? 
Is there an underlying truth that we should try to seek in this passage, or are we just going to keep looking at at a jumble of words and and names and try to unscramble them in our heads? Often when we study scripture, we want to dive down deep. We want to look at the words and try to pull out big theological concepts and and, and understand them, you know, and and blow them kind of uh, up again. But every now and then, it's actually helpful to take a step back and just look at at a passage as a whole and and kind of understand it from a a higher, you know, from a higher uh, viewpoint. And when we zoom out on 7 through 18 and we look at this passage overall, I think what we see is a snapshot of the inner workings and relationships of the early church. Paul and all the people that he addresses here share a camaraderie. They share a mutual desire to build one another up and build up their faith. Paul and his fellow believers were committed to fellowship and encouragement and truth. And I believe every Christian community from 2,000 years ago all the way up to today, all over the world in every culture, every country, every place, all Christian communities can be enriched and can be strengthened by the pursuit of these distinctives. As Christians, we, we need to be committed to deep fellowship. And we should be committed to genuine encouragement. And we should be striving to share the truth that matters most. So we begin by taking a look at what it means that as Christians, we should be people of deep fellowship. As Christians, we want to be community. We want to be a people of deep fellowship. In these final 12 verses of Colossians, it's jam-packed with this language of, of community and connection and relationship. Uh, uh, Tychicus and, and Onesimus are said to be dear brothers and faithful, while Tychicus also holds this distinction of being a fellow minister or a, a fellow servant of the Lord. And so he's probably uh, working alongside Paul. He probably has an official ministry position alongside Paul. Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner with Paul, and he and Mark and Jesus called Justice are described as co-workers, uh, co-workers for the kingdom of God. Epaphras was likely the founder of the Colossian church, and he probably traveled to to meet with and learn from Paul, and he has Paul's full confidence, and there's just glowing words of praise for him in this passage. Luke and Demas are described as dear friends. The believers in Laodicea are brothers and sisters, and and then there was Nympha, who had apparently opened her home to welcome and to shelter the early Christian church in Colossae. And if we think back over this letter, we, we remember that Paul uses this language of, of family and love and warmth for all of the people throughout the entire letter. Uh, if, you, if you think back to Colossians 1, there were things that, that said uh, things like, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Paul's just constantly laying down this idea that, that they're connected, that they love each other, that they're close to one another and held together in community. I feel like when, the feeling I get when I read this passage is like when you look at an old photo of like an old group photo of friends or family and you can kind of look over the, the entire photo and you can point people out and you can remember their names and, and you can remember something about them and you can share stories about them and, and you can reflect on, on what your affection was for them or, or, or why you love them. And, and that's the kind of attitude Paul has here in this passage with all of these people. It's the kind that we should also have, as, as we should strive to have, as we want to characterize our own Christian community. We should be able to share these feelings of love and connection and relationship. And yet we'd be missing a rather important point if we just said, okay, so we should all be friends. I got that. Let's, let's move on to the rest of the passage. Because there are two rather interesting things about the fellowship that Paul talks about here with these people. The first is that they come from very, very different backgrounds. All right, three of them are identified as Jews, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, and Jews like Paul, with the rest of them either being Greek or being from some sort of other cultural origin. 
One of them, the, the man named Onesimus, we know was a slave. And therefore, the, the range of, of socioeconomic and, and, and education and just cultural background between Onesimus, who was a slave, and Luke, who was listed to be a doctor, there, there's a lot of different backgrounds in here and everything in between. All right? We have, we have yeah, Onesimus, the slave, on one side, and Luke, the doctor, on the other side, and lots of folks in between. And if we assume the mark in this passage is the mark uh, from Acts 15 that actually the Apostle Paul and Barnabas kind of get in a fight over and have a conflict with and actually end up making them split, then we know that there's also some, been some conflict and some resolution, but some strained relationships even within this group. The second thing we should make note of is that Paul shows a great deal of care and affection and love for this Colossian church, which he had never visited before. He had never been to before, and he never would. Which means that the full weight of his relationship with this, these people, the full weight of his compassion and his love for the people in his church, it doesn't rely on personal relationships, th- things that he has connected to before. Which leads us to the question, what is it that's uniting these people? Why is it that Paul cares so deeply for the Christians at the church in Colossae? People that he has never met and, that, and most of them he'll, he'll never get a chance to. If we as Christians are to be people of deep fellowship, what is the foundation of that fellowship? What are we supposed to build these relationships off of? What brings us together and challenges us to affection and compassion and community and love for one another? The answer, of course, is the very safe Bible Bible school answer. It's Jesus, right? Jesus Christ is the foundation of these relationships. Our common faith in Christ is what this deep fellowship is all about, Paul has been hammering on this since the very beginning of the letter, and here at the end, we actually get to see it play out in the relationships that he has and and the love of Christ that runs underneath all of them. We are not brought together or bound to one another because of our country or our culture or our education or status, our power, our ethnicity, our gender, our worship styles, our, our building architecture, any of these other things that we all too often put way too great of a position of influence in our lives. Right? Those are not the things that bind us together. We are brought together and bound to one another because we believe Jesus is alive. Because we believe Jesus is Savior and King. And we know that he offers us the salvation that we so desperately need. That's what binds our relationships together. That's the common ground we all stand on. Our fellowship has to be based on our common faith in Christ because everything else in this world will ultimately fail us. Now, that doesn't mean that your ties to friendship and family and and even common interests are meaningless. Those things are good and and beautiful, and you should have those connections with other people, and they should be continued to be be, uh, invested in as you create those friendships and relationships. But when it comes to what ultimately binds us together, when when it comes down to the very bedrock and foundation of who we are, that has to be a place where Christ and Christ alone is, is found. So how might we grow grow in our fellowship with one another? What steps can we take to be better connected to our church in fellowship with that foundation of of Jesus Christ? Well, one, um, as you heard earlier, is we have small groups here at this church. And we love for people to get involved with those small groups because they are a place where, um, where, where really true, deep, meaningful connections can be made. These groups study scripture. They, uh, they, they hang out with one another. They learn to support one another, encourage one another. Uh, and, and these groups are, are part of the, the key discipleship that we, uh, we participate in, in here at Faith. And so here over the next couple of weeks, we'll be signing up for small groups. You can get on the Church Center app and find them there. You can uh, find them 
it in different places online. They'll be in the e-blast. Uh, we really encourage you all, if, you, if you're in a small group, definitely re-engage it as this fall comes around. If you're not in a small group, we would encourage you to give it a try. If you've never done Rooted, we'd love for you to come participate in Rooted and find out not only more about your faith in Jesus Christ, but more about your brothers and sisters here at this church who hold that common faith with you. You can also serve in one of the ministries here at Faith. We've got, you know, welcome team, tech team. Uh, we've got the worship team. We've got opportunities in missions and, and ministry. We've got opportunities down in NextGen. And while all of these teams certainly help the church function, they certainly help us do the things we need to do as a church, they're also meant to bring people together and to create new opportunities for friendships and connections and relationships. And so if you're looking for a way to, to get to know others in the church, check out one of those ministry teams and see not only how you can give back to the church, but how we can help you connect and learn and meet other people as well. Uh, you know that greeting time that we have before our church services where we tell you, hey, turn ne next to the person to your left or to your right and say hello? We do that very intentionally because we want everyone to have a chance to be welcomed and to meet someone new and maybe even get a chance to learn and remember the name of the person that, uh, that you got to meet this morning. And so I, I would ask you, do you remember who you said hello to this morning? Do you remember the name of one of those people? If you all feel like you didn't know that you're going to be called out on this and you might need to redo, that's okay. You can definitely say hello again at the end of the service and, uh, and yeah, share each other's names and just kind of catch up a little bit on, on, on what's going on in life. Another one that we can do is, is because of the, unique, the uniqueness of our fellowship in Christ and that Christ is truly what bonds, brings us together and binds us together, we can pray for believers all over the world and know that we are actually expressing fellowship for them in that, common, in, in that common faith in Christ. So I'd encourage you to pray for the church to be strong in places all, all over the world. Pray for the church in Ukraine and pray for those believers there that are still suffering uh, and still trying to figure out how to continue to be believers in a place that's extremely difficult to live right now. Last week, Pastor Logan encouraged you to pray for our missionaries. Please do so, and please do so while remembering that what unites us to them is our common faith in Christ. It's the love of Jesus that needs to be shared all over the world as much as it needs to be shared here. And if you aren't a believer yet, please know that, that we're very glad you're here this morning. We want our church to be a place, to be a community where you're welcome as well. We hope that the people you meet uh, give you a, a sense of belonging. We hope that you desire to return to this church again after, after today. And you may not know very much about Jesus, but that's really, that's really not a problem. We want this to be a place where you can get to know him. And so please know that we're so thrilled and grateful and thankful that you've decided to join us here this morning. As Christians, we have to be people of deep fellowship because of our common faith in Jesus Christ. The second takeaway from this passage is that as, as Christians, we should be committed to genuine encouragement, right? Committed to genuine encouragement. I love how the NIV renders verse 8 when Paul says that he sent, uh, he sent those two, his two people, uh, uh, Tychicus and Onesimus, he sent them to Colossae for the express purpose of sharing an update on Paul's circumstances, but also so that they may encourage your hearts, right? Encourage your hearts. Uh, pull back for a moment and, and kind of realize what's happening here, right? Paul is one of the most significant members, significant leaders of the early church, and he's sending his, his right-hand man to this, this church in Colossae for, because he'd heard the believers at this church were having a hard time. They, they were trying to figure out what they needed to do, trying to figure out what they needed to believe, and out of the compassion and the, the desire for encouragement, Paul sends these people to this church, which is full of people he's never met, but he loves them so much and he wants them to be encouraged that he sends out a ministry team to be sure that that happens. 
That's how much encouragement meant to Paul. He went through tremendous lengths to be sure that his brothers and sisters in Christ were strengthened and comforted and built up in their faith in Christ. Paul goes on to say Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice have been proved a great comfort to him, revealing a little bit of vulnerability and laying out the truth that everyone, from the newest believer to the, to the greatest of Christian leaders, we all need to be blessed by this gift of encouragement. Right, furthermore, Paul says that Epaphras, again, likely the founder of this church in Colossae, Epaphras was always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So here we see an example of prayer being used as a way to comfort and support and encourage fellow believers, even when you can't do so in person. Paul also encourages Archippus, even though it's a little bit more of a, a commanding, uh, commanding tone, to see to it that you complete the ministry that, the Lord has, that you have received in the Lord. And so we make an effort to lift one another up and to help keep each, other, uh, uh, keep each other on the path of the calling that God has given to us. Paul isn't just being polite or giving lip service or in order to try to come across as nice. He's addressing people by name, and he passes along information that directly influences their situation and their lives. He praises people for what they have done. He encourages them to keep pressing forward. His encouragement is genuine because he has clearly taken the time to listen. He has clearly taken the time to understand what's happening in these people's lives, and he cares about their well-being and wants to help them move forward in a healthy manner. In our culture, a great deal of our communication is self-centered. All right, we talk about ourselves, we look for opportunities to put our best on display, and we all too often listen to others in a way that, that we're, what we're doing is we're readying ourselves to share our opinion to whatever they are telling us right away, right? And, and sometimes we want to be sure that when we get our chance to share, it's the loudest voice in the room, right? That's so much of what our communication is styled around these days. If you think back uh, over your conversations that you had this week, I encourage you to, to ask yourself these questions. Did you spend more time being encouraging to others or discouraging to the people you were speaking to? All right, did you speak to people in the hope of building up their faith or leading them to consider who Jesus is or what Jesus might speak, say to their circumstances? Or did you mostly want them to think about how clever or how smart or how informed you must be? Were you honorable in the way that you talked about others? Or did you use your words to put people down or to diminish them, to belittle them? Or, or did, you do, and did you do all that while they weren't around? Did you do all that while talking behind their backs, while, while trying to bring them down in order to make yourself look better while they weren't even there to, to discuss it or defend themselves? Do you think you were ever like, like Tychicus or encouraging the hearts of those around you? Were you like Epaphras who was wrestling with pe for people in prayer? Were you like Paul, who was encouraging people to complete the ministries that they had been given? Or did your words bear greater resemblance to the world rather than to Scripture? Sharpen to an edge to cut down other people to make yourself look better. As Christians, we have to be people committed to genuine encouragement. We should be people who stand apart from the world and, and stand apart with love and strength and comforting people, having comfort swiftly come to our lips, naturally flowing from our hearts. Yes, there are absolutely times where we have to be critical, where we have to call on people to change, where we, we, we have to tell people that something must change about their lives. But consider this, on any given day, on any given day, 
I can almost guarantee that every person you encounter will have had something already happen to them that day that made them feel discouraged, right? About themselves or about the world or just about life in general. You could be the person motivated by the love of Jesus that makes sure that that downtrodden person hears something of the voice of compassion, hears something of kindness, hears something of encouragement. You could be the person that, that ends up carrying a message from the Lord to that downtrodden person full of encouragement and invitation and the love that they so desperately need. People don't need any more help feeling bad about themselves, right? I promise you, they do not need help feeling worse about themselves. What they do need is to know that somebody out there cares enough to love them and to encourage them and to bring them love that is greater than they could have known. Finally, as Christians, we should strive to share the truth that matters most. Truth is a very slippery thing in our day and age, and, and maybe it always has been, because we know that Paul sent the letter of Colossians to, to these believers here because false teachers had entered that Christian community and were telling people that Jesus wasn't enough, that they needed to add things to their faith, that they needed to do more in order to truly be saved. And this, throughout the summer, we've seen how Paul's letter seeks to set those Christians back on the path of, of right belief and good theology and proper conduct within their relationships and within their communities. But Paul also makes it clear that what he has written was not just for the believers in Colossae. He asks them to share what he has written with the Christians, with the Christian brothers and sisters that, in the neighboring city of, city of Laodicea. And then he says, when you're sharing that information, expect to also receive a letter uh, from Laodicea. So presumably Paul had sent another letter to the church over there, and they were supposed to exchange this encouragement and this information and this, uh, and this good teaching. This little comment in verse 16, to share what they have received and receive what has been shared, is a subtle yet important reminder that as precious as it is that we learn these things for ourselves, it is also incredibly important that we not treasure it and keep it for ourselves and hoard it for ourselves. All right, we, we are coming up short in our faith and in our obedience if we don't tell others about the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. Right, we can't just sit here and consume all these things for ourselves and never find an outlet to share it with others. Paul's words here remind me of another letter that he wrote where he implored his readers to take up the cause of sharing the truth that matters most. In Romans 10, he wrote, As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And then in verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the, one, in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of the ones who bring good news. You and I are the ones who are called to bring good news to this world, to our friends and our family, to our neighbors and our co-workers, to the people who are hurting and scared and crushed beneath the weight of their sin. To all these people, we humbly and joyfully and without judgment and, and compelled by love share the truth that matters most. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and which has been proclaimed in, to every creature under heaven and of which we all, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been called to be servants. 
Who can you share the gospel with this week? That's not a rhetorical question. I'm not asking in theory. Who literally, who right now can you bring to mind that you could share the gospel with this week? What is the specific name of somebody you could tell something about Jesus to this week? I'm challenging you to think of a name, to choose a person, to be bold and vulnerable in your calling as a follower of Jesus Christ. To be a light in this world. Share the gospel with somebody this week. Even if it's just a small bit, just a little story, just a quick testimony of how good God has been to you. Or how God could be good to the person you're talking to. Find someone to share the truth that matters most. That God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and that he was raised and now lives so that they might live with him forever. As Christians, we should be people of deep fellowship, committed to genuine encouragement, and always striving to share the truth that matters most. And this is, in part, what we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table to celebrate communion together. We first and foremost, of course, remember that, that what we're doing here when, when we take the drink and, 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 we, and we eat together is that we're thanking Christ for all he has done for us. But we also very intentionally do these things together as we pursue fellowship, as we seek encouragement, and as we proclaim the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection until he returns. So let us come together today for this meal and this celebration. At our church, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is welcome to join us for the celebration of communion. In just a moment, we will all together take, uh, take the bread, and after a few words from Scripture, we will eat together. And then we will take our cup, and again, after a reading of Scripture, we will drink together. If you've joined us in person today, there are the little cups with the bread and the juice that we're sitting outside. If you forgot to grab one, please feel free to, to run and do so now. If you're joining us online, uh, we'd love for you to have, uh, have you participate as well. You can simply use uh, whatever food and whatever drink you can find to, to join in with us this morning, too. If there's anyone with us here this morning that is not yet a believer in Jesus, again, we're so glad that you've decided to join us today. We're honored that you would trust us to, uh, to be a part of your journey of seeking truth and trying to find out more about who God is. During this time, we'd simply ask that you reflect on what you heard this morning and maybe even use this time to, to offer up a simple prayer to God. And if you have any questions about the service, about communion, about anything you heard this morning, please, please don't hesitate to come and, and, and ask us that question and, and find me after service or find one of our, our, our elders or our pastors. Please uh, feel free to, to engage us and ask us those questions that you have. Would you all please pray with me? Father God, <clears throat> we thank you for the community that you've called us into. We thank you for the wisdom that you've given us from, from the book of Colossians, and we thank you that what you want from us is to be people of fellowship, to be people of encouragement, and to be people that share the truth of the gospel. Lord, as we move into this time of communion and share in these elements together, please call our minds to all that you have done for us and call our minds and our hearts to all that we should be together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The Lord Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, <clears throat> he gathered with, with his disciples and he took bread. And when he, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we proclaim the Lord Jesus' death. We proclaim it as, as a sign of hope because he accomplished all that we needed that we could not accomplish on our own. Establishing the forgiveness for our sins, making a way for our salvation, and drawing us closer to you. Lord, as we sing this final song and reflect on your goodness, please, Lord, please, call us to these greater, this greater way of life where we are in deep fellowship, where we are encouraging one another, where we are sharing truth with each other, and with the world. In Christ's name we pray these things. If you're able, let's stand together.